Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the Health, Lifestyle, and Mindset Podcast, Episode 41. What is Qi, really? Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today again, once again, with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today? Uh, pretty good. Just recovering from the Christmas and New Year holidays and I don't know the snow and my snowblower broke this morning, so I've been shoveling my self to, I don't know, <laughs> my cardio is done for the week. Yeah, sure. Well, for those of you who are in uh, part of the world uh, where there's not a whole lot of snow, um, we're actually catching up to you. It's a pretty, pretty crappy day out there and it's kind of a wet rain and the lovely snow is actually disappearing. Yeah. We got like two and a half feet in the last month. So living where I do, it's, you know, you can't wait for it to melt. You got to move it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the, uh, the holidays, uh, we're just coming out of that. Uh, it is 2018. Happy new year, Michael. Happy new year to you and everyone listening. Yeah. Um, do you have a good sort of time off? Did you take time off? Uh, for the most part, yeah. And honestly, I did what most people do. <laughs> Sit around and listen to podcasts? Uh, that. Uh, did some reading and research, uh, writing and research, uh, but did the fun partying, feasting, craziness with everybody else, which usually I don't. Usually I'm more of a kind of a hermit. So I got to do a bit of the hermit thing I like to do, but uh, I also got to have some really great social fun. So that Good. was a great time. How about you? Uh, well, I managed to uh, eat myself sick <laughs> and uh, had a uh, very mild um, occurrence of uh, canker sores show oh, up. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. What a drag. What a pain in the mouth that is, <laughs> <laughs> amongst other places. And um, of all the times that I've had it, it was one of the mildest, so I'm very grateful for that. And I just feel compelled, given what we're actually here to do for serving our listeners, if you get canker sores or aphthous ulcers, as they're called, try and remind yourself that that's happening to probably a third of the uh, upper part of your small intestine. So just take that as a really like loud dashboard light for maybe fasting would be good. <laughs> yeah. Fasting and, uh, don't eat as much tahini or yeah, anything. Yeah. Like omega six, uh, inflammatory or turns out orange juice. Yeah. Well, in my case, it might've been like, not tahini. Uh, what is that stuff? Uh, halva. Oh yeah. I kind of overdid that and some almond roca and a whole bunch of other things that I thought were, Oh, these are pretty harmless, right? Oh, I can eat 18 of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> one way to find out. Yeah, one way to find out. And um, uh, true to fashion, uh, the sores came and they went, and I'm probably about 98% better, nice. which is good because I'm actually here using my pie hole here as a, as a tool for the day. <laughs> so I'm not actually talking around like this because I can't move my lips. All right. I've had days like that in the past. Yep. Yeah. Um, kind of stinks. But anyways, uh, other than that, uh, holidays were good. Uh, did a whole lot of nothing. A uh, little bit of binge watching on the old Netflix uh, podcasts, some mm -hmm. reading, and uh, just generally hanging out, which was very good. Uh, coming into 2018, do you do you res resolutions or anything like that? Uh, not in the way where I try and commit to like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds or I'm going to go to the gym five times a week or something like that. Um, just cause my life is kind of a fairly consistent, I don't know, the, the background music of how I organize my life was pretty consistent, but, uh, usually what I focus on more and I have a lot of fun with, uh, this year, especially 
has more to do with the feeling tone uh, about my sense of state or sense of attitude as I approach, you know, getting to the gym when I choose to or, you know, would like to when I choose not to have that 12th piece of, piece of what is it, Hoflot you said? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> uh, or those things, because then, um, I guess with the, because we're going to be talking about Qi and Qigong today, one thing that's really hard to get people to to notice and commit to and be consistent about is their state. Because, hmm. you know, we all spend a lot of time, uh, and I'm going to say this because this is how I speak to a lot of my patients about the resolution thing is, if the state of mind you have around changing your life, especially in a positive way, sounds like an argument in your head, I have to ask you something. How many arguments have you ever had that ended not feeling like an argument? Hmm. Whereas if you stop and say, oh my God, look, I'm in an argument. Maybe I could shift that away from the argument mode of state and communication and expectation to maybe a more conscious sense of communication or listening to yourself or like having the subtlety of a psychotherapist ask yourself, why am I saying that that way in my head? Hmm. And then when you kind of deconstruct the, the habit, the impatience, the, I mean, everybody's white knuckling it, man. I mean, you walk around town, you got white knuckle everybody to just not smoke or not drink or not have coffee or not binge your cheesecake or whatever you're, you're down with. Right. And it's that white knuckled thing that is the burnout. Cause if you relax your hands and realize not all conversations that matter are arguments. In fact, very few are. Hmm. So by shifting, shifting the state in the, of the mind away from an internal dialogue that's argumentative to an internal dialogue that's very quiet, very quiescent, very conscious, very compassionate, very patient. And honestly, the most important thing, if there's any addiction going on with anybody, the curiosity of, well, what's going to happen? What, what can, what's going to happen for another day, another week? Like, let's just see. Hmm. I know the result if I go back to lifestyle 2017. So nothing new there. And in fact, it's probably going to feel, you know, some shame and some, you know, resentment and, you know, self, you know, punitive thinking if I go back to that. So it's even worse than what it used to be. Right. Right. So why not just shift the, the mode of inquiry or the way we look at it as maybe it doesn't have to be an impatient, serious, white knuckled argument. It could be a gentle kind of reaching towards the light switch in the dark. Like what will happen if, what, what will happen if, and in that state, you get to find out. Hmm. Well, I, I think I take a, a maybe a similar approach. I don't know if it's um, along the same lines or not, but New Year's for me in terms of resolutions uh, has never been, I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not this guy. No. <laughs> I need to find some first before I could lose it. Um, it's never been any of those sort of um, stereotypical kind of uh, resolutions, but it's always been uh, coming into the new year is just an opportunity to sort of really uh, get quiet and look in the mirror mm -hmm. uh, and see whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, it, it's almost like um, on a long distance driving trip, driving for so long and then all of a sudden going, oh yeah, wait, uh, I don't remember the last 50 miles that I was driving because I was totally zoned out and just coming back into focus again and realizing mm -hmm. where I am. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, coming back to your awareness. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me uh, this year, it's focus around uh, how it is I do whatever it is I do for work mm -hmm. um, and how it is that I'm actually living my life because work for me doesn't really feel like you know, it's not like I'm swinging a hammer or doing anything really physically uh, challenging. Work for me is kind of play. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, how do I want to make things happen this year? And what feels um, what feels like it doesn't fit anymore? 
and um, sort of like, you know, standing at the edge of the cliff and jumping off and going, hmm, wonder what's going to happen before I land. <laughs> you know, yeah, my mind is sort of tracked over to the Chinese New Year because it's going to be what we call the Earth Dog or the Yellow Dog Year. And the year of the dog really has mostly to do with uh, process and like progress and learning, but mm -hmm. also loyalty. Right. Right. And so for the, for the sake of our listeners and our viewers, you know, uh, Chinese astrology, you're the earth dog actually this year. Mm -hmm. um, well, earth is yellow. Yeah. So, uh, so that happens in February. I, can't I remember. think it's February the 18th this year. Yeah. It's whenever the new moon tracks closest to February the 4th, which is from a solar calendar uh, perspective, the first day of spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Chinese astrology has a completely different perspective than, um, I guess, is it Western astrology? I think Western astrology is mostly about planets, although I don't really know much about it uh, and the stars and constellations and stuff, which I probably sound like a two-year-old saying that. But um, Chinese astrology is way, way simpler in a way because it's really just based on consistent predictive cycles, mm -hmm. you know, 12 years, 60 years, and all these sort of lunar and solar things that are in fold over. I mean, if you actually just look at the the calendar year, not the astrological year, there's over 60 seasons to it. Hmm. So, uh, but there's 12 animals and everybody's born in the year of an animal and there's five elements. So five times 12 is 60. And then it gets even more convoluted than that if you get picky. Right. <clears throat> but, um, so I was born in the year of the monkey. How about you? Uh, same. Right. Well, that's right. We're pretty much the same age. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, so for most people, the year of the dog typically is just, um, you know, can you keep going with your pack? Can you be good friends with your pack? Can you be a good mentor, teacher, or guide? And are you loyal to the people in your life? And when it comes to the element of earth, um, that has the most to do with grounded connectedness in the sense of relating to people. So I would just say 2018 is, are you committed to your people your process yourself and are you loyal mm -hmm. well and and, uh, and sorry and are you deeply connected or available to being deeply connected right well when you say loyal there that's the real key word for me in the way that i see it uh it's uh almost like the energy of the year mm -hmm. uh, am i loyal to what i've been loyal to yeah and can you be loyal to your deepest truest self mm -hmm. yeah and i mean I guess every year for me is kind of a year of it. You're the dog then, because I think about that every, every, every January the 1st or whenever, whenever it comes around, it just sort of seems to happen that it's kind of like, oh, well, what have I been doing? Yeah, oh, really? Wow. I think that's a self-employed thing. It's a dog's life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it is, eh? Sure. Um, so uh, it, occur it just occurred to me that there might be some new people listening here. Oh, yeah. Uh, because this is the time of year when people make all kinds of resolutions mm -hmm. around health and that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, so if you're a new listener to this podcast, uh, Fusion Health Radio is something that Michael and I have been doing for two years? Mm, year and a half, maybe. Feels like forever. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to take that karmic barb out. <laughs> and um, I sit down and uh, ask Michael all kinds of questions about whatever it is that he's questioning himself. Uh, and uh, I think topics have ranged from everything from I think we started off with how much water should you drink every day to uh, things about uh, mindfulness and meditation to uh, all kinds of... Yeah, how Kung Fu relates to healing, how native wisdom can still help people in the modern world. So Yeah. Um, so if you're uh, really curious to invest in your health, uh, congratulations first off. And yeah. uh, second of all, uh, take a look at all the other uh, podcasts that we've put out there. Um, today we're talking about chi. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 
before we came to the microphone today, Michael was like, oh, I've never had this conversation before. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've never had it either. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes two of us. Well, Woo! actually, I've had most of this conversation probably a thousand times, but there's a part of this conversation I've never had before. So I'm super excited to see if I can pull it off because as we're going to dive into gradually bit by bit, Chinese as a language and as a way of experiencing reality and English as a language and you know, a filter for reality, they're pointing in really different directions. So it's going to be kind of fun to see if I can pull a quantum physics, I don't know, rabbit out of the hat of English. <laughs> okay. Well, well, before we get too far. <laughs> yeah, let's it, leave that until everyone's like, well, yeah. well marinated in the whole idea. <laughs> before we jump up right off into the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we should start off with, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who may have heard the word chi. Mm -hmm. And um, there's probably just as many, maybe even more that don't even know what chi is. So let's start there. Chi is C-H-I. Uh, it's usually spelled C-H-I or Q-I. Right. Uh, C-H-I is sort of the more um, sort of standard American way of doing it because there's a there's two different standards for writing Chinese words in English. And the older one uh, that was kind of thrown together was the one that's C-H-I. Uh, but in the more modern, I don't know, scholarly version, it's Q-I, but it's pronounced exactly the same. Right. Uh, in Japanese, it's key. I can't remember Korean, but probably something like that. The idea, and I prefer to use the word idea than the stuff <clears throat> as well. The idea of chi or the context of chi is that um, there's something going on in life that we can't see. And that obviously uh, there's things that can change that we can't see uh, that can produce health or produce illness. So... Chinese medicine being, you know, at least 5,000 years old and pretty scholarly 5,000 years in the sense of writing and being very empirical and uh, relatively scientific in the sense of what we think of as science, has been spending thousands of years going, what in the world is going on below what we can see on the sense of phenomena that limits uh, health or lifespan or causes illness because they didn't get into microscopes for a very long time, mm -hmm. which, I mean, a lot of us can sit back and go, yeah, that makes them stupid. Well, you know, or you could say, well, that makes their real re relationship with reality maybe not that literal because, right. you know, when you really get into the the Lego molecule version of reality, I mean, it's very knowable. It's right there. I mean, people can take pictures and explain how many atoms or electrons it's got spinning in what direction kind of thing. Whereas the Chinese language of the Chinese mind is so much more associative and uh, under the umbrella of nature governing the universe kind of thing. That the assumption is that it's all supposed to work the way it's supposed to work. And, you know, we can just uh, affirm things at this point, you know, and I mean, it, honestly, Chinese medicine on average has been about 2,000 years ahead of Western medicine around dissections and concepts and, and things that actually like guide the, the, the idea of science being a certain thing in the, the Chinese mind thousands of years ago and then the, you know, the modern Western mind with science being very literal. Uh, it, it makes it hard to, to translate because the most common translation is energy. And that's not, I think, a bad, bad one, except it affords people the perception that it's actually something literally there in the sense of it being a noun. Because, I mean, I love the idea of chi when I was getting into martial arts as a kid, and I think I'd seen a Star Wars movie or something, and the idea of the force, and, you know, you could heal people, you could kick butt, you know, you could be better at swinging nunchucks around your head or something like that. So, 
um, there was just a part of me as a young man going into that kind of paradigm of reality going like, wow, how do you cultivate that? And this is maybe going to discredit me, but I had a couple of experiences growing up in the bush without TV and radio and stuff when you had nothing else to do. They were very tangible uh, experiences um, uh, in, sense of, in the sense of sense experience and memory that for me affirmed that there's a lot going on in the sense of being connected to and communing with or being energetically met by nature or feeling things. And when I probably explaining detailed stories of just take me deeper into the pit of this guy's a lunatic, but <laughs> having had some experiences that I couldn't really explain uh, in any other way or that other people didn't really speak to. And then as a young teenager getting into the, the, those things, I mean, I've spent my entire life fascinated by the what if there is something really fundamentally deeply underlying all of this that we can actually influence in some way. You know, with practice, with meditation, with qigong, with uh, with whatever else. If it's your Chinese herbs or something that you're taking to resolve a problem. And it's all based on this sort of fundamental sense that there's some organizing aspect to all this that we can't measure. Hmm. And um, that's the idea of qi. It's, there's something going on. And I don't like the idea of something because, again, we get back to the literal... Uh, where is it? And can I put it in a petri dish and poke it with something, right? So w would you would you be able to describe it as something uh, instead of saying it's something going on? It's the influence going on. It's the thing that. Well, I used to use that word when I was teaching Chinese medicine. Actually, is I would call the qi. It would be easier to translate qi as either influence or uh, transformation or circulation or communication or things like that, which we'll get back to. Um, but yeah, it's just trying to get it out of, to, I would want to reach into people's minds and loosen up the idea that there's this stuff you can stuff into places and have more of it or run out. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the, the way I understood it, um, this is an explanation that I sort of made up a few years ago. Um, mm -hmm. uh, let me see if I can reason this out. Um, picture this, you're walking down the street, you walk by your neighbor's yard, neighbor's yard has a fence inside that fenced yard is a very large dog who really is aggressive and the dog's barking its brains out. And um, I'm on the other side of the fence, but I can feel the influence that that dog has towards me. The aggression that the dog has towards me um, is a very palpable, palpable thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, you know, still, even though I'm on the, on the, on the safe side of the fence away from that dog, um, I can still feel that energy. If yeah, you will. And, and, and that's, that's the tricky part is when we do the air quotes thing, we all realize it's not the literal word energy like gasoline. We're talking about the feel of an angry dog. And honestly, the feel of an angry dog is going to be primarily um, magnified by your reaction to angry dogs. I mean, some people might want to take selfies. Other people might want to pee their pants. <laughs> <laughs> or both. Or both. <laughs> no judgment. No, I'm just now stuck with that in my head. <laughs> A little bit of mental floss here. Yeah, no, mental floss. <laughs> Clean it out. Um, but once I, uh, you know, so so I, I I've had a sense of what that, she is in my own way without it really understanding it through um, any reading or conversations with guys like you who have more of a conversation around it. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, I guess, but when it comes to the, like the idea of practicing acupuncture and, and how acupuncture works, mm -hmm. it's hard for your average lab coat wearing scientist to, to go, yeah, the affirmation of what the energy of angry dogs is to your point, you're putting needles in my ass to fix my kidneys. What? <laughs> <laughs> 
It loses something in the translation yeah. for Chinese. <laughs> Just tell them that. Yeah. Um, okay, so if that's uh, the idea of influencer transformation or uh, energy is loosely um, the idea of qi. Have we sort of explained it in a way that uh, you want to carry on and, and, and talk more about that? Uh, well, I think I just want to preference the conversation in, in a couple of ways. Sure. Um, so as a communicator, I'm often, you know, aware that I don't want to waste my time doing what I'm doing. And I want to make sure that the people that I'm speaking to are spoken to in the best possible way for them. So anytime I'm having a conversation about what she is about, um, let's say 75% of the time I'm talking to people studying Chinese medicine right. and 25% of the time I'm talking to naturopaths and medical doctors and I don't know, chiropractors, osteopaths and everybody else, uh, even psychiatrists, nurses, uh, so if I'm teaching functional medicine, sometimes it comes up. So I'm, I'm aware that what that conversation is about is very, very different and in a way very, very powerful, but in very different ways. So the concern I have with this when I'm talking to people who practice Chinese medicine is Chinese terminology is the hardest thing for people in the Western world to deal with, with respect to Chinese medicine. Because if you go to your acupuncturist, your, you know, Chinese medicine doctor, and they tell you that you have damp heat indeficiency and uh, upper dryness, lower turbidity and something else, you know, wind coming out of your elbow with phlegm. I, I'm just throwing this together to make a point. So that's you, you just made that up. I just, that, that doesn't ever happen like that exactly. <laughs> but you know, there's some Chinese medicine doctor going, I'm what no the doctor. heck? I'm no doctor, but you just made that up. <laughs> I just made it up. So the, the psychology underlying this, if, if I'm a clinician and I ask my patient who, I don't know, they're a heavy duty mechanic and have no interest in all this stuff. I have now created two potential conditions. One is that person now has to dissociate from the rational way that they typically approach their problems and try and just sort of, you know, like horror movies where you just sort of suspend disbelief for a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, as they're taking their herbs and getting their acupuncture and doing their qigong and changing their diet and in their mind there's a part of them going yeah i guess i'm dealing with some bad weather in my stuff with the damp and the dry and the wind and the whatever and there's a psychological kind of dissociation and kind of being on eggshells or being in a mildly anticipatory or uh, almost apprehensive state going like god i hope these people know what they're talking about because i have no way to have that terminology land in myself Right. Mm. Possibility number two, just as dangerous uh, for me in, as a clinician, but in a completely different way. And my humor belies that I'm kind of a twit. I do stand up comedy and make fun of people sometimes. So if this sounds like I'm making fun of you, it's meant to be funny. Yeah. Make fun, make funny. <laughs> so let's take your average, really wide eyed hippie who comes into a Chinese medicine office, who's done some reading, who's, <clears throat> excuse me, totally down with the yoga, the qigong, the meditation, you know, and all the other things. And they come in and they're already in a kind of, um, let's just say that they're uh, making some pretty potent associations about things that may or may not really be real, you know, in, in their life and that's sustaining them in a way. 
you know, so they're, they're kind of in like an air balloon a little bit. So they come in and they get their, their dampness, their wind, their yin, their yang, their, you know, liver stuck or whatever. And you can see almost like a little flush of red come into their cheeks. Oh, it's so cool. That's what's wrong with me. It's all my inner weather stuff. And I'm not making fun of it. It's just, it's basically Chinese medicine is, the terminology is shorthand for a lot of actual physiology, but... If you take someone who's already dissociating towards attaching themselves to fluffy ideas mm -hmm. that they have taken literally in a way that now they have, it's concrete to them. I have yin deficiency and dampness. I've got to change my whole life. It's all my parents' fault or whatever. Now we've basically given those people fuel for the fire of a direction of their life that may get them into some really weird places. Hmm. Right. And I'm being a bit cynical in both directions to make, to make a point basically, because that's the polarization of, of how people would respond to interacting with Chinese medicine is I either suspend the disbelief that these people know what they're talking about because they're using terminology that makes no sense to me as a Western trained person, or I finally have a context in which to completely leave the rational world behind. And again, I'm exaggerating this as far as I can to make a point. Hmm. Most people just show up and say, yeah, whatever, dude, give me my herbs and make me better. They don't care. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to that kind of terminology, you can either exaggerate it and end up in a certain place where it could be dangerous, especially with Qigong and you decide you're going to force all your chi into your head, like the Kundalini thing, and then that can go bad. I mean, there's books on psychiatry and Kundalini hmm. for how rapidly people can go insane forcing these energetic states, right? Hmm. So again, I'm just aware that if you take this literally and try and run with it in a way that could be dangerous, or if you're getting treatments based on some paradigm of management of energy systems that you don't really buy into and you're spending money and you're relying on this, but you're actually in on the inside of your head in the attic of your mind, chewing your fingernails, going, I can't believe I'm wasting my time and money because this stuff is just crap, right? So if you don't get it, you're not going to get much out of it. If right. you exaggerate what you think you, you're getting out of it, you, you might take it over the top and kind of crash your plane a bit. Mm -hmm. sure. So for me as an educator of clinicians, it's trying to bring it down onto the ground where <clears throat> the people who want to see this from a shamanic point of view can, can see that and still fit into the actual natural world as it is. The people who want to see this, which we'll get into in the quantum physics sense of the world, they should have a good satisfying description that makes them feel comfortable in that world. Cause that's the point is it's, it's just shorthand. It's just a way of communicating, um, some concepts and some ideas, but, and I, I've been guilty of this. I mean, I've had this, this for 40 years now. Like I, I think I've gone through every level of stupid with what you can take from these ideas and, and kind of run with them in directions that make things really kind of messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think I can, uh, I can't think of any specific examples, but I know where I've taken that kind of information uh, really to heart um, and just uh, put up roadblocks, mm -hmm. um, preventing me from doing certain things that um, may not necessarily have been as healthy for me. Um, I think about uh, diet restrictions that I had in the past where I just couldn't do this or do that. Um, so yeah, in some way, I, I guess I kind of understand how you're talking about the... Um, uh, the whole thought process around um, this can be, for lack of a better word, constipating. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that or it can be a bungee cord that can get us sort of so far out of the reality of ourselves and our, our lives that 
you know, now we're kind of living in kind of fantasy excuse land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. You know, and I think the easiest way to put this uh, before we get into the terminology and kind of more specific detail is, I think most people are familiar with the context that we have a left brain and a right brain. Sure. So I would say English is a profoundly left brain language and Chinese is a fundamentally, fundamentally right brain language. Hmm. Like I wish there was enough familiarity with Chinese in, in our conversations to actually like play with some examples, but I don't know if that would help people very much. But the thing about left brain thinking nowadays with science is you have to have not only correlation, but causation to prove some kind of physiological process, sure. evidence-based research. Which from a, a rational scientific point of view, which is, you know, how the Lego of proteins and fats and, you know, calories work and stuff, of course, that's the way to go. I mean, we have that capacity now. Why wouldn't you want to know what you could potentially know to confidently, you know, solve a problem? When you look at um, the, the Chinese medicine right brain thing, correlation's kind of fun, but association's even more fun. Hmm. And associations that are paradigm um, fed, like, you know, the four seasons creating the five elements, creating all these other things that basically say nature designed a container for life. So everything inside the container should probably reflect the container. And if the four seasons are the crucible of our species, that probably is going to reflect something on the inside and you can run with that. And Chinese medicine tends to run not really far, but a bit of a bungee cord. Uh, into, well, let's just go with association and nature and then some other stuff with, you know, moons and suns and seasons and, um, well, well, just sort of affirmations, but there's also a deep sense in indigenous cultures, in Chinese culture, a lot of Asia, India, um, you know, Ayurvedic medicine, that the fundamental thing we're actually dealing with is, you know, the kind of fabric of space-time, the the fundamental ground of all things, not just human beings or not just rocks, not just dogs and cats, uh, space itself, and that there's something fundamentally inherent within all of this that is the organizing, moving force and or the memory uh, of, of how things are organized, and that that's actually the deepest possibility to heal is to go into literally the matrix of how you're molecules are made and how they behave and how they remember themselves and nudge them around a bit. Mm -hmm. If that's with breath work, if it's with, you know, yoga, qigong, if it's with shamanism and prayer and song and, you know, smudge and feathers and sweat lodges and stuff and, and other things, or just obviously acupuncture, right? So there's this understanding, you could call it a belief. I would call it an affirmation, uh, of of something kind of obvious, but kind of nebulous that, yeah, of course there's something underlying all of this that makes all of this, this, and we keep finding it every time we pop open a new layer of science and, and research. So I think we just have to keep going until we get to the rabbit hole in the sense of science being, this is how we describe it in science, which I'll try and do later. But, um, yeah, so I, I just want to kind of just, you know, play that out because the people who are listening to this, who are primary left brain for the next 20 minutes are going to get a bit of a language lesson in a sense of what these terms mean and, and maybe how they free us up a little bit. Uh, but uh, I'm going to end it off with a foray into some physics and quantum physics that actually kind of prove not only the inherent necessity of something that we could call chi, not as an object, but as a part of how all this works. But I'm also going to dive off a little bit of a, I don't know, theoretical diving board into quantum physics to actually explain an indigenous perception of reality that questions the idea of 
the Big Bang starting the world in the sense of the world starts and stops or the universe starts and stops and a way of seeing creation as a cycle just to see if I can actually pull that out of my hat because I think I can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, what we're going to get into and, and, and you know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious to, to sort of unpack the whole idea and I, I, I want to know... Um, what was really your motivation behind wanting to actually take this to this level uh, for this podcast? Like, is this relative to uh, something in the new year? Uh, and I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to detract from the lesson here, but I'm just mm. sort of curious as to what your motivation is to actually want to point people around that the idea. Of well, yeah, I guess there's two. One is uh, as a communicator and educator, um, it's very enjoyable and, and almost giddy sometimes to come up with a, a really new way of sharing something that crosses paradigms and languages and, and things yeah. like that, that helps us all stay connected. I mean, it's the year of the dog, let's stay connected, you know, left brain, right brain, you know, rational, intuitive, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And, and also I'm just excited to try and see if I can do that. But also, um, I really want to encourage people to try and get into these things just to see, especially if you're a real left brain, you know, give me the pill, give me the surgery kind of thinker. It's a what if thing. Like what if sitting still or standing or walking or moving or doing these repetitive gestures or trying out a class or, you know, even following somebody along on YouTube just to see what it feels like, to see what these things are like, because it's the easily the deepest toolbox in my life is the practice of meditation and Qigong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll throw this out as kind of a quick infomercial, but um, there's going to be several Qigong training uh, courses available on, I think it's called Thinkific. Uh, but if you want to find the first one, you just would type in dreamingelephant.org. And that goes to the the first level of the, the I think it should be 10, like, it'd be the equivalent of each course is about six months of training. Uh, so I've actually got an online teacher, uh, Qigong teacher training program launching in February, which so I'll plug that too. Um, to get into that, you'd have to get a hold of me through my website because it's uh, kind of like joining a family. It's not like taking a class because it's going to be three to five years of, of big, big investment. So if you're just interested in checking out Qigong, there's a, a level one kind of thing you could just dive into. I think it's 150 bucks for like a six month course, which would cost you 800 bucks to take it at a, you know, a local you know, class wow. or something. Um, but yeah, if you're actually thinking, uh, yeah, you have some Qigong background and you really want to like get into a, a lineage that's like 7,000 years old and um, really study it, you know, for years and become a teacher, uh, that's going to be launching in February. So that's happening too. But if you just want to see the the very first intro video, it's dreamingelephant.org. O-R-G, cool. O-R-G, yeah. Okay. Um, you, you have you ever done any qigong or anything like that? Uh, I had a roommate years ago who was into tai chi. Okay, who uh, introduced me to a few moves and that sort of thing, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, I mean it, it wasn't unpleasant, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't anything that uh, um, piqued my interest enough to want to carry on with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I was always uh, curious to see how her and yet another roommate who was, she was an, uh, a master, I guess, uh, instructor. Like she was a, a, at a higher level. I can't remember what the designation was, if that's it or not. Um, and he was just a, a newbie kind of uh, instructor. And he 
constantly, you know, try to push her buttons and she would just be standing there, um, without even breaking a sweat, uh, and just like, you know, doing the whole push hands thing oh, right. and, and keeping him at bay. And he'd be like, you know, coming at her with, a figuratively a baseball bat and she'd just be like poking him away with her pinky finger. Yeah. I've had that experience lots. Yeah. Both sides luckily, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that, that's, that's my, uh, that's my, and this podcast mm -hmm. today right. <laughs> is my experience with it. So, so I'm just going to change the screen a little bit because I, I brought up some characters for people. If I can find the document I'm looking for. Um, should we, uh, preface that to the people who are just listening to the podcast? Uh, if you didn't already know, Michael and I have been doing, uh, videos of the podcast. Uh, you can check those out, uh, fusionhealthradio.podbean.com. You can see them there. You can see them up on our Facebook page as well. And I'm just madly trying to find this. So just give me a sec. Um, yeah. okay. So this is, uh, what I'm looking at here. I'm just going to use my little mouse thing here is the characters for Qigong as the practice of Qigong. So the one on the left here is the character for Qi and it's technically described as uh, a picture of some rice cooking and the steam coming off of the pot. Sure. So <laughs> that's what the, so this little thing here is rice and this is the steam and you know, this is kind of a character for a transformation that's happening. Yeah. I'll, anyway, I'll, and, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> anyway, sorry. It's a, it's a habit. Um, so you can either decide that the word chi means something like vapor or air or um, cooked rice or <laughs> other things. Um, and again, when uh, you're an English speaker, it's very, very natural for that part of your mind because that's how language works for you to want to find the thing that fits in the right place, you know, round hole, round peg, square, you know, whole square peg. So if I say it's the steam coming off of cooking rice, the, what the English mind is, is it the steam or the rice? Like what, what is it? What is it? Mm -hmm. From a Chinese point of view, when you're using that kind of a character to, to describe terminology, you're just saying there's something about all of this stuff that can change things. You put rice in a pot and cook it, it goes from this to food. You boil rice in a pot and this stuff comes off of the pot and it smells like this. And that's evidence that there's whatever happening to the rice that makes it go from rice to food. So this whole idea of transformation of things towards benefit, towards more, towards life, for people who've been cooking rice for 5,000 years, that, that seems like a pretty good, you know, analogy for what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So we use the word, the, the character that has that image, the pictograph for that image, to describe what she implies about the world about health about you know nature animals everything right right the word qigong there just because it's there the character gong actually means it's a combination of strength and being very accurate right and it actually would mean merit hmm. right so when you're looking at the idea of qigong it means to act with a sense of merit or a sense of ethical purpose or at least measured purpose towards whatever it is that creates transformation towards health and life Interesting. Right. A lot of people just call it energy work, but the word for work that, I mean, that that's only half of the character, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to adjust my camera here. So what's interesting is the term Qigong as a practice has only been around for maybe 150, 200 years, um, to describe the practice we call Qigong. 
So I'm just going to do a very quick segue into this because I think this, it brings up something really, really potent. Okay. So before the Jesuits came to China with some rudimentary science, uh, China had no idea that there was another way to look at stuff. But after they came in and started, you know, treating people with, you know, their medicine even 200 years ago, a lot of people, especially in Chinese medicine, were kind of fascinated. Well, what are they doing? What do they know? What do they got going on? And there was a guy, I forgot his name. It's been a long time since I've thought about this, but uh, he was studying with these Jesuit healers. And he was the guy who t coined the term Qigong because he actually started to get it wrapped around his mind that if there's microbes, if there's infections, if there's this sort of rudimentary science stuff, maybe that's what is implied by what's underneath of all this stuff. Hmm. And because he was getting into this sort of noun-based left brain thing, he just said, well, maybe we could call it this because maybe that's what's happening. Hmm. So before the term Qigong as the Chinese yoga term would, would have been used, it was actually called Tao Yin. Tao Yin. And does it have the same sort of um, uh, root translation? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I bring it up, because the meaning of Tao Yin is, for me, like, it, 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 it forces people to shift their mind. So the character of Tao, like, you know, we take the idea of Tao like Taoism, mm -hmm. and then you add a little tiny piece to it, and I'm just going to use my little cursor to bring people who can see the video to it. There's a little tiny element underneath of the character for Tao uh, that just means an increment or a piece, okay. a, me a measurable chunk, you know, a bite. Uh, and in Chinese medicine, we use this little proportional measurement for people's body inches, and it's called a tsun, and the part of the character that we've added to that is called tsun. So when you look at Tao as an expression for the experience of living in creation, and the character Tao is actually the picture of a person with feathers in their hair, experiencing life as themselves, as a, as a self moving through the world the way indigenous people do. Because hmm. that's Taoism, it's the indigenous culture of Asia. So you take the idea of Tao, your subjective experience of being within all of this, how whatever all this is, but this increment of it, is this a sad increment, a happy one? Is your posture good? Are you breathing deep? Uh, are you alive or dead? <laughs> are you moving towards uh, suicidal depression or are you crawling out of addiction? You know, whatever state you're in, that's the increment of everything you're getting. Hmm. And I'm going to zip over to Europe for a second. Uh, There's a philosopher called Meister Eckhart who had a quote that said, all beings come into being in a state of being. And the implication is, and your state of being inherently is up to you. Are you choosing or are you reacting or are you a victim to your conditioning? So this idea of Tao in the sense of the increment of everything, we're all going to get what we get and we can be passive and just take it, or we can be a bit of shaman and make it. Hmm. So the character Yin, which is just below this, is basically a description of how processes happen, right? Kind of like traffic. So imagine going through traffic and it's got corners and corners and corners and corners and hills and valleys and switchbacks and stuff, or it's a really nice, gentle, fluid ride, or you're falling down a waterfall scared out of your pants. So the character for yin basically means change happens in very wiggly and very fluid ways. And sometimes it happens like you're falling off of a hill. And this whole idea of Tao Yin is more about, um, State. State, awareness, self-reflection. Uh, 
Very present, potent state shift. Huh. Right? Because that's the practice. The practice of Tao Yin is shamanically to shift your state, to heal your posture, to heal your breath, your mind, to be as uh, ecstatically in reunion with nature and, you know, what's coming down from the sky and up from Mama Earth, you know, as, as passionately and enthusiastically as you can. Or you're just here to sit, watch, and measure stuff. Mm -hmm. Sorry to the scientists. I was just having fun. <laughs> so to bring it more towards Chinese medicine, um, in, in the sense of uh, how you can understand this, there's a concept of what we call zhang qi, right? And I got this goofy cartoon I found like an hour ago. <laughs> to, one, one to have the characters for people who just want to see the characters. Now they have this, for the people who are just listening, there's this goofy guy who's all happy and kind of a warrior protecting everybody. And then there's this guy on the other side we call Xiechi, which is basically pathogens. And in fact, that, that's actually considered uh, from a very long time ago from the shamanic traditions, demons or things that could possess you like demons. Hmm. Right. So there's this concept uh, in Chinese medicine of something called Zheng Qi, and it's in the medical textbooks translated as anti-pathogenic Qi. So now we have this stuff that's supposed to basically describe some element of your immune system. And now the idea of Xiechi is, oh yeah, some kind of infectious agent, something that could, you know, eventually weaken your immune system or attack you, or it's the mumps or it's smallpox or, uh, I don't know, H. pylori or something like that or uh, something. So we have that idea. <clears throat> and actually the character for Zheng actually means to have resolve. Right. It's a picture of someone standing in a really, really good posture getting things done. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's also partially the measurement that Carpenter, a part, part of the character is uh, the kind of tools Carpenters use to measure things exactly, which is also a part of the character for Qigong. It's, don't want to get too far afield here, but just to say that there's this repeating kind of uh, affirmation in, in terminology around Chinese medicine that it actually ref refers to your attitude. Right. Because if you're going to be in a state of Zhang Qi, that's better than being in a state of, I don't know, wait and see. I'm just going to keep having, I don't know, Diet Coke and potato chips because I can still talk, so I must be okay. Hmm. Or whatever. So there's lots of ways we can approach our health. And the idea of Zhang Qi is, do you have resolve? And there's kind of a feminine masculine sense of that, right? The masculine sense is like Clint Eastwood. Right. We're going to resolve this, you know. I gapped on all of the great one-liners that Clint Eastwood would have had to have basically said, bring it on. Yeah. You know. In <laughs> Dirty Harry. Feeling lucky fool or yeah. something, right? So that's kind of your, your overt kind of masculine, you know, cowboy version of how to pick a fight. Right. The more feminine version of resolve is let's negotiate. Hmm. Right. So we're not going to get into this too far, but just the last image I'm going to show uh, is basically a map of how what we call chi production in the body happens, right? And there's all kinds of different chi, mm -hmm. right? And this is something that I think is so fundamentally important to understanding the concept of chi because it isn't about chi because in the word in the Chinese language the word chi is rarely, if ever, used by itself. Uh, I'm just thinking for the sake of people listening in, uh, if they wanted to see these images that you've got here uh, that we're showing on video, 
Um, maybe we could put them up with the actual podcast. Oh, yeah, we, 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 we could actually put these photos up with the show notes just for people to see them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we all, yeah, I'll find a way to make sure that each image is clear. We're not going to get into the cheap production thing because that's relatively kind of a mechanics thing. But I just wanted to get people a sense that you'll notice that there's no word chi by itself. Mm -mm. Right? There's lots of different kinds of chi. Wan chi, song chi, wai chi, yin chi. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot, cool. lots of kinds of chi. Uh, oops. How do I get back to? There we go. Starting to get the buttons figured out. <laughs> so we're back. That's good. So um, very quickly, if I was to take the idea of chi as a noun, which is the point of this conversation, there's only really two times at which um, the word chi is used by itself in Chinese colloquially. One is to describe air. Okay. In the sense of if you don't breathe, you die. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is actually a modern one for gasoline. Oh, interesting. Right. In the sense of it's a potent source of mm, transformation. So if you're an English speaker and left rain, when I say chi means air, it is almost an instinct to want to put some air in a jar, put it on a shelf and say, there's the chi. And uh, from the Western brain thinking, I'm just thinking that you're a crazy person and there's nothing, I mean, bottling air is kind of silly. Yeah. But if air is chi and air is a noun, but you've put the air in a jar, now you have chi in a jar. Right. Right. In the sense of, I mean, again, I'm really trying to just porcupine my way into the, or badger my way into the, the people who are completely unfamiliar with any other language or paradigm. Okay. Cause yeah. so you, you, sometimes you have to like rub your face in where you're stuck before you can kind of go, Oh my God, I had no idea I was stuck. <laughs> Right. So obviously if I put gasoline in a can, it's a can of gas because it's obviously a substance, but the thing that makes it chi is it explodes as soon as you light it up with a spark plug. Right. Right. So when you look at the air thing, and this is, I think, a really nice entry point into what we're really trying to get into. The reason Chinese uses the word chi for air is because forever we've noticed that the quality of air or the sudden lack of air is what life is about. Mm-hmm. You're by a waterfall, you're by the ocean, you're in a forest full of big trees producing massive amounts of oxygen. The chi here is good, mm -hmm. right? You go into a dank, humid, moldy cavern, it's, the chi here is not good. People go into this place, get sketchy, they get illnesses. <clears throat> so what's really interesting, I think, from a science point of view is we now know that there's a carbon dioxide and oxygen sharing cycle between plants and animals that makes the atmosphere, the air, like a verb. Right. Because it's airing. If the air stopped airing, we're all kind of like kind of screwed. We're pooched. Right. So that's, that's, that's the that's, thing. That's a year of the dog reference. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, but that's the thing that usually kind of pops people's minds out of the, the noun kind of habit is the word she as air just means what chair, what air does. Cause it's airing. Mm -hmm. It's what air is doing. So it's an ing word. Right. So I'm not going to say the word she means ing, but it kind of can. So that we saw those words on the, the image, like, uh, you know, Kong Chi and Song Chi and stuff, and I'll come back to one of them. But just to kind of clarify this in standard thinking in Chinese medicine, you're often talking to people about their lung Chi, okay. their Zhong Chi, their liver Chi, their kidney Chi, because we're talking about the health of that organ as expressed by its function in the body. You could even say Chi could mean function in that way. Mm -hmm. But I like the word circulation and communication, because if I think of the liver, and liver communication in terms of neurotransmitters and hormones and, you know, all the little 
uh, fun chemicals that control how the cellular detox pathways work, your liver chi on a molecular level of communication is essential to your health. Hmm. But it's measurable on the molecular level of hormones and neurotransmitters and detox triggering, you know, peptides and stuff like that. You could do the same thing with your stomach, with whatever. And then you look at circulation. Obviously, if the blood flow through your liver is jammed up because of fatty liver disease or some kind of tumor or what's called portal vein uh, restriction, then your liver has blood stasis because mechanically, literally, measurably, the blood moving through your liver as circulation is sluggish. So when we tell someone, say, oh, your liver chi is sluggish, you got two choices. The magic fairy dust of liverness is broken, <laughs> or somehow the circulation function of my liver, due to any number of other things, is sluggish on a mechanical measurable level. Hmm. There is magic things going on too. It's just the quantum physics stuff, not the normal biological health stuff. Mm -hmm. Although they're going to, obviously, there's interaction with both. Right. But it's to try and bring it to all of my science, you know, clinician friends. It's just shorthand. We're just talking about hormones and neurotransmitters and all the ways the body uses molecules to talk to itself in this great, crazy family of organs and systems and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we could even look at stress chi. You know, what happens to your neurophysiology and your hormonal physiology under chronic stress? It's a measurable thing, but we would just call it stress chi because that's the easiest way to think of it in Chinese medicine, mm -hmm. which makes perfect sense in Chinese medicine, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, as, as you're going along, sort of describing the whole thing, it, for me, in my mind's eye, anyways, it's becoming a little bit more, um, available, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause again, dampness is shorthand. Dryness is shorthand. Mm -hmm. You know, all the, all those things when you, I mean, I teach a course, uh, so if you're a clinician interested in Chinese medicine or a Chinese medicine person who wants to get some continuing education credits and have some fun for about eight hours, there's a course I do once or twice a year. It's called bringing Chinese medicine into the 21st century, where I literally take every term, every single term in Chinese medicine and explain its scientific, uh, relevance, which pisses off some Chinese medicine people because they want the magic thing to be real. Whereas most other people go, Oh yeah, well that, that just makes it easier to explain to my patients who don't want to hear the dampness. They want to know what does that mean? Right. Cause some people have no idea how to explain what that means. Hmm. which is why we teach that course. But anyway, just saying that, that that's kind of the point of part of this conversation is it's just shorthand. If we could get past the, the magic thinking, Chinese medicine would have as much credibility as anyone because we just have different shorthand. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, and so uh, explaining that this is shorthand and sort of uh, bringing that whole thing into focus for people, um, how do you, uh, not how, what is it you wanted to focus on next? Uh, well, I just want to make a couple of other examples that are a bit more experiential. Okay. Just for the listeners who might be fidgety people who want to like feel something or move around a little bit. Um, cause I'm kind of like that. I think you're like that too. I'm totally like that. <laughs> so if Zheng Qi means to be in a state of resolve, what would that look and feel like if you were to bring on that bad boy right now? Um, so I'm doing it right now but I'm doing it because I'm changing my posture. I'm changing my gaze. I'm changing my spine. I'm changing my, you know, if somebody came in the door, I'm already in a state of like Kung Fu, like not that I want to beat them up, but I mean like whatever's going to happen, I'm ready for it. Cause I'm in a state of profound present resolve. Bring yeah. it on. Well, I, uh, 
I think I was still formulating a response to that, but even before you said your description of it, it just made me think of um, uh, having something become in focus. Like when you're looking through a, a camera mm -hmm. and you push the button halfway down and the little lens goes trying to find that focus spot. Um, Great imitation of the camera. It's that, uh, it's like I, when it's focusing, um, I'm focusing on nothing else other than that. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I'm totally focused on being focused. And Lord, what if you were to focus on not only your focus, but on your breath, your posture, your relationship with any canker sores that may still be waiting underneath of your mucous well, membranes? Or... And I was going to go to that next. Okay. And depending on whatever it is I'm pointing the camera at, mm -hmm. um, I need to be aware of um, everything else that my body's doing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm really uh, prone to uh, fidgeting when we're talking and people will notice that if we're on a camera here, they'll mm -hmm. see me sort of poking around and fidgeting and looking at different things just because I need to, mm -hmm. got, do, to got to move it, move it. That's right. In order, <laughs> in order for it to go in here, it's got to, it's got to work its way in. So, um, back to the camera thing for me to focus on whatever it is my body's doing in that moment, um, is really important because I need to make sure that I'm not casting a shadow on the subject or mm -hmm. that I'm not, um, making a stupid wincy face or <laughs> that, uh, uh, that I'm not blocking somebody else's view. Like mm -hmm. I, I have to be totally present as to where I am in my body uh, and how it's actually positioned in the world. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the in invitation for the listeners and the fun thing about pod podcasting is it's always now in this moment, it could be 10,000 years from now, someone's aliens listening to us talking on some <laughs> microchip or something. But so for anyone listening to this 10,000 year old aliens or not, <laughs> my, my invitation to you in this moment right now is to take a moment, even if you're driving down the road, and become aware of your mojo place, you know, your pelvis, your lower chakra, your, your belly, your gut, your intuition, the place where we all kind of gur and purr from and use that sense of yourself. Even if you're having a crap day to just let it sort of filter up into your diaphragm and just take one deep uh, kind of breath where you're like, mm -hmm. okay, even if for just one breath, I'm just going to like really suck in the life and really feel my potency and really face whatever this moment is about with a sense of bring it on, man, like whatever, we're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. And that's a resolve. That's Zhong Qi and it's a state. Yeah. So if you're practicing Chinese medicine and you tell people, oh yeah, well, we're just going to tonify your Zhong Qi and bring it to your elbow. Your phlegmy elbow. Your phlegmy elbow. <laughs> Great memory there. <laughs> Um, you're not being inaccurate, but you're communicating in English, some very literal terminology that could be very, very misunderstood. And most importantly, leave your patient lying on the table going, oh yeah, well, I guess I'll just lie here and think about my phone. Yeah. Instead of let's get together you and I, and find out how to bring more of you into this. Cause that's the point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have one teacher, he said, um, for him anyway, at least half the time the treatment was over before the acupuncture began because they had had a really in-depth personal conversation and the person had shifted state in enough of a way that my teacher, who was kind of a Jedi, uh, had said he was very, very certain that person had made a decision internally that had changed their relationship with something that was going to heal them. Mm -hmm. And he does the acupuncture just because he says, well, you know, the people like it, you know, they, they kind of like, well, they don't really like it, but it kind of like, you know, puts a, puts a stamp on the, 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 the treatment. But he says, most of the time he, he just counsels people into like making that one next better decision. And the acupuncture just sort of keeps it going. Anyway, just as an example. I'm going to remember that the next time you pull out your needles. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really need to stab me there? 
So, so here's another one, and this is one of my favorite ones. So for the experiential part, if you want, you can put your hand right between your stomach and your heart. And sort of ask yourself, what, what is there in me? Like, what's, what's that place really about? So it's interesting, uh, in Chinese medicine textbooks, uh, they will introduce something called Zongqi, Z-O-N-G. Mm-hmm. And it's often referred to as ancestral energy. Okay. And there's one paragraph because modern Chinese medicine has all the shamanic stuff ripped out of it because the people's Republic of China didn't want anything construed with religion or spirituality left in Chinese medicine when they rearranged it in 1972. So one of the most potent possible resources we have in Chinese medicine has been negated. Interesting. So here, here's to take this to the place I, well, I take it in indigenous culture. When you're working with ancestors, and because we're speaking English, everyone probably thinks there's a bunch of dead people in the room. And there's a part of that, working with ancestral uh, energies, but really in depth of indigenous spiritual practice, when you're working with ancestral energy, and I'm stuck to speak in English, I'm not going to start speaking native languages on top of Chinese, I think would just break people's concentration too much, but it's an actual practice of sitting and calling on all of your ancestors and all of their chutzpah or their mojo or their guile or their wisdom to be present in you because they're your ancestors. Whatever it is that mojo they had, they've passed on to you. But if you don't tap into it, you're just lost monkey, first generation walking around naked in the world going, I have no idea what the heck's going on. Mm-hmm. But if you drop into the memory and the experience and the, I mean, we can prove now that trauma goes across multiple generations and carries with it genetic information that can produce tra- like PTSD or other disease, right? So what if we look at it on the positive level? There's something within you and we locate it right there between your stomach and your heart where you really have to dig deep in those really hard to make decisions to make the move, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, that's a practice, that's a state. Like when you're deeply connected to your ancestral resources, knowing that you have some pretty badass ancestors or you wouldn't have gotten here Hmm. or they wouldn't have gotten you here. That's you. Interesting. But if you tap into it as a state, that's you. They're all you. What's that statement from, uh, movie gladiator, Russell Crowe, what echoes, what you do in life echoes in eternity. Hmm. Right. And that's a big part of Taoism is to be creative in what you leave in the collective unconscious in the most positive sense of Zheng Qi. This is how to adapt to the 2018 world. Are you adding to the collective unconscious of your future generations by your attitude and your actions, or are you waiting to see what happens? Hmm. Right. Cause this is when it kind of gets into the more warrior shaman side of the practice, which is it's you're, you know, you're either on the front line saying, bring it on, or you're kind of negotiating and hoping it goes, you know, away. <laughs> Or holding your breath and waiting for something to happen. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, we could take this um, very quickly to another couple of experiential opportunities because everything has chi, right? A change, an influence, a transformation. So take a moment and focus on your breath and feel what breath chi is. You know, I mean, not a moment, take a month, take, take a month and work on all kinds of different breathing methods and exercises and see if you find one that is your, um, attuned 
most uh, charging up and, and helpful breath chi because now you're just breathing consciously. What about smile chi? There you go, big smile, right? You make different kind of smiles and all of a sudden, you know, oxytocin starts moving around and you feel different. Mm-hmm. Kissing chi. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can kiss people. Mm-hmm. Right? So all of a sudden we start realizing we are co-creators of, of what's coming into being. We just need to be a bit more conscious about it for it to be about what she is about. Hmm. So <clears throat> another little bit of a shift in conversation and context, but um, so we have the idea of chi as an expression of organ function, as an expression of maybe what mitochondria do, right? Still science, still rational, still left brain, but right brain shorthand. But we keep talking about state, right? So there's a saying in Qigong practice and martial arts practice that goes yi ling qi, which means yi creates the conditions for whatever qi does. And yi is basically how you organize yourself consciously. E can be used both as uh, intent and attent, like intention, attention. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of like the precipice between the two, the space of consciousness in which ideas form. It's kind of a part of our imagination, right? But not just imagination. So when you say e ling chi, you're basically saying mind leads chi. So of course I could take that to the Kung Fu level and say, okay, I'm going to hold up my hand and do some deep breathing until my hand gets warm which is something almost anyone can do within two minutes, right? So the mind is now creating a change in, uh, you know, obvious physiology uh, because it's moving in a direction, it's leading it. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring that up is, and I could probably spend an hour just making examples, is a lot of the times when we're talking about qi, especially in the qigong world, especially in the shamanic world, we're talking about yi. Because when you're talking about state and the discernment of state and the decision to create or change state, you're talking about yi, hmm. which changes your chi. Because if you walk into a room and your yi is, I'm going to be gentle, kind, compassionate, and really, really nice with everyone, that's the Anthony chi you bring into the room. If you go in there and I'm going to poke everyone and make fun of them and joke, you know, trash their New Year's resolutions or whatever like that, well, that's Anthony Chi today, and you may or may not get invited to the party next year. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's state, right? And this is where the, the terminology gets, you know, and I'm not trying to be pedantic or too rigor, like rigid, but I just think for the people who are interested in this and like to think about things like Qigong and the shamanic practices and the capacities we have to fundamentally organize our state, um, you're talking about Yi. So a lot of Qigong practices should be called Yigong practices because hmm. they're mind first and then, you know, change in function second. The, uh, the whole idea of mind first reminds me of a, uh, a thing I read. Um, there's a series of Chinese grandmother wisdoms and one of them is, um, and I guess all these wisdoms, Chinese grandmother wisdoms are kind of related in some way to feng shui. Um, what was it? It said, uh, if you want to change uh, something in your life for the positive, move 27 things in your house. Um, and the idea, as, uh, as as I understand it, is that if I was to move either furniture or belongings or things, um, like in my bedroom, mm-hmm. right? If um, uh, I've got a small uh, table at the end of the bed kind of thing, 
if I clean that up and I organize it, um, I actually breathe easier throughout the day. But if I come into that room later on um, and it's a mess, I get kind of, is anxiety a word? I don't know, not, not necessarily anxiety, but it's a little bit of kind of, um, I don't feel as, as whole or as stable because everything else is kind of messy. Um, and that is kind of an extension of like, oh yeah, if I take all of my receipts and I put them in a pile over here, that's great. But if I have them strewn all across my desk and if I've got my laptop over there and my headphones over there and I've got just junk scattered all over the place, it's just a reflection of what's going on internally. Yep. <clears throat> so when you talk about mind and chi um, being kind of interchangeable, that's kind of the example I see in my mind's eye where it's like my, my physical state either externally my desk is the example or whatever, however it is I've organized myself with my own thoughts mm -hmm. can affect, um, how it is that I, um, flow through the world or not. Yeah. And that, that whole flow thing people regard, uh, usually describe as feng shui. Yeah. Right. The, the way the energy of a, a system feels or, uh, works intuitively in that way. And just to affirm what you said, you know, your E response to clutter will affect your chi because E leads the chi. Mm-hmm. So you have a choice, change your feng shui or change your response to clutter. And I would suggest anyone change the clutter, <laughs> focus on the feng shui because that's proactive. Right. Right. Just deciding you're being, I don't know, neurotic about your room. That's not chung at all. That's just self-loathing. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Or being lazy, one or the other. <laughs> well, there, I, th I think uh, there's something... Um, energy flows in uh directions where there's um it flows in a direction when there's least resistance mm -hmm. um you know i picture a river flowing you know in a straight line down its course as opposed to a river that's got a dam in the middle of it right yeah and that's why that Dao Yun character has that character because it's it's either going to be traffic jam or fluid river yeah but you got to be able to handle both you know mm. So I guess what I'm saying here is you're actually making sense. Go on. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your job. So your audience of one, yeah. the light bulb is on. Well, as long as you can, you know, restrain me from my unnecessary shenanigans, because we're going to get shenanigans in a sec here. Sure. So before I move into the kind of quantum physics thing, um, I just want to bring people's attention to something that has a lot to do with E. Uh, in the sense of mind, uh, and it has everything to do with chi because yi ling chi, the mind leads the chi. And I'm saying the mind leads the chi just to make fun of people a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you do any research um, on kind of modern weird changes in medicine, we have this new thing called the heart torus. Right. Which is this electromagnetic bioelectric field that encompasses your entire you, organizes how your neurophysiology actually grows and how your neuropathways and neuroplasticity work or not, and also adjust. And there's some theory about this, so um, call this a hypothetical statement. The coherence uh, or the organization and capacity of your heart torus affects the uh, overall gate mechanics of every cell receptor in your body. So the more flow and coherent and present you are, the more fluid the transposition of nutrients and hormones and informational things uh, on every cell and every receptor. You got 90 trillion cells and a thousand receptors per cell. That's that's a lot of math. 
that's a lot of math, 16 <laughs> zeros or something, you know, so, you know, in the sense of flow of G, obviously the more coherent your mechanically measurable heart torus is, the more obviously the material we can measure with microscopes can move through the gates that we can measure with microscopes. So again, when we come to like the idea of everything in Chinese medicine to being about the flow of Qi in English, that sounds like traffic. So I'm saying from a very basic sense of uh, what's called radiocardiology or the measurement of bioelectric fields, we can already prove the mind uh, can go through a whole range of possible, possible measurable states of coherence that affect downstream every physiological process you could make a list of. Mm -hmm. So just saying, you know, here, here we have the shorthand Yiling Qi, and here we have, you know, a 20 page thesis on the heart torus and its effect on vortex surface tension and fluids around cell membranes getting peptides faster, which is a thing, which most people probably just said, what? But anyway, it's, it's just to say like, we're, we're looking at the, the complete parallel description of reality. Mm -hmm. One's three words. One is 20 page thesis to try and make it make sense, but it's the same statement. Right. Right. So, I mean, you look at Curlian photography where they take pictures of people's state on a bioelectric, biochem, biomagnetic level. Um, you can see people who have a very small Curlian kind of, you know, field effect and other people look like the sun, mm -hmm. you know, this is going to sound weird, but I did a Curlian photography thing at a Qigong symposium, 30 something, 20 long, old, so old, I'm so old. Anyway, <laughs> long time ago. And, um, is it time for your Geritol? Yeah, there it is. Do we need to take a break? Here? And, and, um, they give you like a Polaroid picture and I just put it in my pocket cause I just, you know, it's kind of a gaff thing to do. And it was at a big, huge Qigong conference. We're all having this giant Chinese dinner and people were asking me cause I was the youngest Qigong teacher in the room and I wasn't Chinese, which made me kind of like an alien. Um, and someone looked at my picture and then they all started passing around talking about it because it was a big ball of white light. And I thought when I had looked at it, I thought oh, I screwed it up, <clears throat> put it in my pocket, but apparently I had such good chi flow cause at that point, and this is going to sound weird, but yeah, I was 26 or seven. I was celibate. I was a vegetarian, I think at that point. Was I? Yeah, I just about a year into being vegetarian. And I was training six hours a day and teaching six hours a day. That would uh, account for that uh, picture showing up the way it Because I, I had no distractions. And mm -hmm. I, it was funny when I was, just to cap that conversation, when I was studying to be a Taoist priest, my teacher actually said, you know, this stuff that you're learning is probably going to matter like when you're 40. And I was like, what? Are you kidding? I'm dedicated to this. All I do is train. And he's just nodding with this funny impish smile on his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wait till you have family. You wait till you have divorce. You wait till you have, you know, <laughs> debt. <laughs> then you need your Qigong practice. You so, wait till you have podcasts. Yeah, wait till you have podcasts. So anyway, I just wanted to bring up that little goofy story, but also that, you know, we have things like curly and photography and even more advanced things that can picture your heart torus and give you a sense of literally the shape of your E. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. You have uh, a lot of these uh, external references to um, quantify and qualify whatever it is you're talking about, but I'm looking at your notes there. It looks like you've been uh, doing a little bit of... Um, math on a chalkboard that's about you know 12 feet by 12 feet square or something well not quite but it, it looks like you have some sort of a formula or idea in your head that you're uh, you're wanting to share as well to help explain yeah, things so I'm, I'm going to go through this for the first time in human history um <laughs> i'm going to preface this by saying i did a semester of astrophysics um 
at Queen's University and I did three or four years of mechanical engineering, three and a half anyway. So I feel just for the science people listening to me, a sense of shyness because I'm a Chinese doctor, shaman guy and Qigong guy instead of your typical, you know, PhD. <laughs> but I do have a pretty deep familiarity with, you know, how this kind of math works. We're not going to do any math for the people on the podcast ready to run screaming and rip off your headphones. And <laughs> He's saying that just for me, I think. <laughs> Good. Um, but what I'm going to do is walk through just two or three sort of simple physics metaphors to try and bring our attention to something fundamental. And if I can pull that off, um, it, it may give people who are relatively left brain rational an opportunity to experiment a little bit with the rational universe. Um, because if I can rationally give you a sequence of cause and effect things that give you permission to play with what we call chi, as what we're going to learn maybe more about it, that would be the, honestly half the point of this conversation. Hmm. Because if I can convince any rationalistic left brain science person to go, what if there is a fundamental thingy going on here that seems to be implied, but no one seems to be really chasing around, Maybe I'll experiment with that a little bit next time I'm in my yoga class, or maybe I'll experiment with that next time I feel really sad or, you know, I end up taking an antibiotic or whatever, because that's the point is to, you know, give people some tools and, and to things to profoundly change their mindset about what life is about. Because mm -hmm. if you're trying to focus on your health, then you're not doing anything about how your mind frames your possibilities. You're still sitting and waiting to see what happens. So I'm going to do my absolute best to give people some rational hoop jumping to give yourselves permissions to be shamans a bit. And I have to stretch that out to say that's kind of a purpose behind uh, the podcast in yeah, some yeah. way yeah. to, you know, shine a light in a whole bunch of different corners and help people find their way. Yeah. Cause I mean, honestly, quantum physics is modern shamanism because mm -hmm. they're just making up field effect equations to describe properties. And I mean, they're still down to 85% of it. They can't explain, but they're, they're happy with, what they can so cool cool here we go <clears throat> excuse me so there's going to be a kind of a terminology thing there's a couple of things we're going to need to learn to just have the conversation so the first thing is called surface tension okay is that something you've ever heard of before uh yeah science class i'm sure mm -hmm. um it's uh when if you have a glass of water, you see a nice calm uh, surface of the water. And when I poke my finger in the water, I break this surface tension in order to get beneath the surface of the water. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And that creates ripples because of the elastic nature of surface tension. Yeah. Uh, if you took your finger, put it in the water and picked your finger out slowly, you'd have a drop hanging off of your finger mm -hmm. because the surface tension of water wants to be that. Yeah. Like it's, it's holding itself together, which might be weird. Right. Right. So then you look at, say, um, <clears throat> diesel oil. Okay. If you put your finger on there and picked it up, gross, but <laughs> it would be a much bigger drop because it has such a different kind of viscosity or fluid dynamic or fluid or surface tension. Mm -hmm. And then if you were to look at silly putty, right. You know, you can put your finger in it, but it takes a long time. Right. right. You can squeeze it, you can shape it and stuff like that. You can stretch it out, but it tends to fight back a little bit, but it, it tends to play along. And all of those things are what are called Newtonian fluids. Newtonian. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, or Newtonian reactions anyway. And I don't know why they chose that term, but maybe Newton thought of it. No, cause it goes into a direction that wasn't really to do with his math, but 
that's what they picked. So there's a new Newtonian and non-Newtonian way that fluids can respond to things. Um, <clears throat> so the only way to, to prove this is to do an experiment, which people probably did as kids. It's where you take cornstarch and mix it in water. And the funny thing about that as a non-Newtonian substance is if you hit it really hard, it reacts as a solid. You can smash your hand into it and you it's smash feel... your hand into it and it'll feel like you just punched a pudgy wall. Hmm. Or a bag of flour. Or maybe a bag of flour or silly putty, basically. Right. right. Slightly different. But um <clears throat> if you take a chopstick and put it very slowly into your cornstarch water mix, it's just like porridge, no problem. Right. Right. So the response of surface tension uh is what makes surface tension surface tension. It's the it's reaction to to gravity or forces and physics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So let's say that there's a scale of surface tension. Okay. Water is five, oil is 10, silly putty is a hundred and, uh, cornstarch and water is on another track of the equation because it has a very different reaction to surface tension. Um, we're not going to call it negative surface tension, but we might call it surface tension, you know, T or something like that, where uh, it's doing something different, <clears throat> and it's really important to be aware that surface tension makes up everything, including the fabric of space-time. Okay. And this is where it gets tricky, because you would say that uh, if anything, space, outer space, has a surface tension of absolute zero, because you can't get a response. I can't stick my finger into space and then pull well, it out. There's no drop going to hang off anything. That's, that's, that's where I was going with that, yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> because it doesn't interact with the world that way. Now, we could say it's because there's nothing there, no thing there. Or, from a physics point of view, we could say that the surface tension is either zero or potentially negative. Okay. Right. Now, to understand this part of it, we're going to have to take a deep breath and think of craft paper. Okay, plain piece of paper, a whole bunch of little blue squares all over it. But it's three-dimensional graph paper. Okay. And try to hold on to your hat if you're listening to this and if you're still listening to this. Uh, and, and try not to take this too far, but based on how fractal geometry works, if you take any cube in your three-dimensional graph paper, it has actually got everything within the entire graph paper has ever had within one cube. And that's how the idea of fractal geometry works is the universe is the same shape and size across all scale of shape and size. The, 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 the theoretical, you know, joke is if you look at our solar system, it looks like an atom, right? In the sense of, you know, something in the middle and things spinning around it. If right. you look at galaxies, it's kind of like a solar system. Wait a minute. Right. right. So there's this idea of fractal geometry, which is the universe is organized through fields and planets and properties and whatever in the same way across all scale. Hmm. So if that's true and you can take a quadrillion, bazillion cubic, if you were to zero in on one cube of that three-dimensional graph paper, because of how fractal dynamics works, you would see the entire universe within that cube. And then you would go down to one of the cubes inside that cube and ta-da, you're right. So there's this property of the geometry of the universe that means typical measurement of space and time are kind of stupid or silly or referential to living on a planet. You don't get miles per hour in outer space, I don't think. Maybe there's no miles at a certain point. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So the, <clears throat> the way we experience the world here is different than yeah. what you're describing. Yeah, so this is where it starts to get a little bit, not woo-woo, but a little bit hold on to your nouns because the 
way it looks in quantum physics is if you have a planet, the core is super dense. Okay. What's around it is really dense. What's around it is really hot and messy and full of energy and, and stuff like that. <clears throat> what's around it is cooler and not as dense. And then what's on top of it is growing like the planet Earth. So, and here we go. <clears throat> when you're looking at the depth of the core of a planet where it's the most heavy per cubic centimeter, that's where space-time is curved in the most intensely because okay. it produces the most gravity per volume. Okay. Right, and just hold on if you're listening to this and thinking, I'm just going to go off on a bunch of crazy weirdness and this is going to turn into something really interesting. Just give me a couple of minutes. So when you're looking at surface tension, the way that fields and fluids and volumes respond to forces and stuff like that, we would say that the surface tension of a very deep solid core material would be pretty, pretty low or pretty, pretty high in the sense of, you know, you punch it and it feels like a rock. And you could say on a certain level, and this is where the shamanic part comes in, that whatever it is that occupies that space is deciding, deciding to be at that resonance or that vibration or that surface tension. Okay. Because, you know, it, it's, this is where the, the chicken or the egg kind of thing happens is, you know, is that material twisted into that kind of uh, elemental um, material because of the forces of space-time? Or is it because it just wants to be that and it's turning itself into that because it's curving the forces of space-time into that? Okay. Right. So this is the idea. So there, there's, it doesn't matter who's deciding. It could be just boring, you know, gravitational physics over time, or it could be something more interesting. But <clears throat> what's important is that we can image in our minds a varying degree of surface tension or curvature of space or gravity in space or, or uh, some, something that you can see. And it's obviously always changing. And any change across matter to a different kind of matter uh, fluid to steam or anything like that is transformation or is chi. So when you're looking at chi from a universal perspective, you're talking about changes in surface tension of the fabric. So when you're talking about chi on a universal level, you're actually talking about changes in the surface tension of the fabric of space-time. Okay. And then when we think about chi as energy, obviously the more complex those changes are, the more dynamic they are, the more they can support something as complicated as life. Hmm. Right? So weird as it is, the, the, one of the biggest origins of energy is change of state from one kind of matter to another. We all know that from like nuclear bombs and, you know, power stations and stuff like that. Boiling water, steam. Yeah, yep. boiling water. So I'm just asking people to kind of notice with maybe some tongue in cheek humor at the goofy things I'm doing with physics right here is to just say, wow, that's a really interesting way to look at this in the sense of the Western mind being so materialistic that we want it to be about something we can see as this, changing into that, producing energy at an equation that is predictable. Because mm -hmm. that's kind of what I'm bringing up is energy states that shift produce energy states and energy for things that we can measure as sort of like something, it's freed up in a way that makes something new happen. I know not to get all Terence McKenna, but it kind of proves the point of how the universe is just a giant novelty machine. <laughs> it just keeps coming up with new stuff mm -hmm. and it seems to be drawn to do that. So when we look at Xi as a term in the context of the greater dynamic of planets and galaxies and universes and big bangs and all this other stuff, it's just saying, uh-huh, yeah, that's kind of obvious that anything that moves through that three-dimensional graph 
uh, paper fluid and fiddles with surface tension is going to produce resonances and like the ripples in a pond outwards to to affect other things and that's kind of what is implied by chi is there's something going on with the fabric literally the fabric of space-time and what's funny is the term in chinese for meridians is jing luo which means the fabric of space-time it doesn't mean invisible tubes up and down your arm <laughs> <laughs> the characters literally talk about the weaving the the warp and the weft of the universe and reality it's not tubes my brain is just exploding here with um it's, it's like can you see it like the idea hit uh, no, I, just I, like, i'm just watching you do a different mm, kind of mm, fidget mm, and your eyebrows mm, are at that mm, place mm, with mm. wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> mind blown that's really kind of cool that's really kind of cool Right. So here we are looking at a, you know, ancient shamanic tradition from Asia, who's trying to explain what they can perceive and intuit about the universe with respect to eventually human health and a system of medicine, which eventually got transported into a language that has really a different toolbox. Mm -hmm. So we're doing our best with the whole thing, but it's a bit of a poop show when it comes to when people take it literally. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw on one last little tidbit to this because as a person from an indigenous background who kind of likes that way of living in the world, I don't take any of it literally because it's not a literal language or culture, but in their way of seeing reality, it's a constant cycle just because they live in the constant, constant cycle of the seasons. You know, what's funny about the, where the native culture I come from, they've never counted years. Hmm. It's this year. It's getting warmer. It's this year. It's getting colder. It's this year. We're hungry. It's this year. We're fat. Right. So for them, it's all about just deep life or death cycles, right? right? So they just assume the universe just keeps coming and going and coming and going, you know, forever. Because I, I, I can't, as a scientist, I can't, like, there's a block in me that allows the Big Bang to happen where there was nothing to happen. Sorry, say that again? I'm going to ask this question, and this, this is like a Zen koan, so if it pops someone's brain open, send me the bill or something. But... <laughs> So, so here, here's a weird question. Where was the where of the Big Bang? Where was the where of the Big, big Bang? Isn't that kind of like saying which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, you can't have a Big Bang without space mm -hmm. it can, or without a volume in which it occurs. So for me, the idea that the universe wasn't and then was just makes me want to like literally giggle and fall on the floor and suggest the person consider cannabis as a therapy because they're taking the whole thing way, way too literally. Cause that's such a, the math, I mean, I've done astrophysics. I mean, I, I know that I don't know the math now. That was 25 years ago, but, um, uh, I've done that math and the idea that we can explain all of the stuff that we can measure with math just means that we've decided to use numbers, symbol languages to explain what we can measure based on a theory. Mm -hmm. which you can, that's the big thing, best thing about math. It's a, it's a language, like a fantasy language. You can make anything make sense if you can measure enough stuff and make an association with symbolic logic. And I'm a scientist. I'm not putting math down at all. I'm just saying we don't really remember what we're doing with it sometimes because we think, look at Eureka, we finally figured this out. It's like, yeah, I know. We made a machine to make the numbers we wanted to make with math. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the reason I wanted to like just bring up this last little bit is what if dramatic pregnant pause <laughs> what if the surface tension of space without novelty is so negative 
that it draws into being, whatever it is that the potential for things to come into being could be. Because from a, like a Taoist shamanic idea of yin and yang and that kind of stuff, if the yin gets to its maximum, it will pull the yang out of its ass. Hmm. Right. Right? And that, that's sort of the point of that little black and white diagram with the dots in the, of the other colors in, in this, the larger colors is the nature of the universe is too much of any one thing will turn into the other. So imagine this volume of space, space having a zero or negative surface tension. This volume of space is infinite and fractal and has nothing in it and is bored. <laughs> so it just naturally starts drawing into the kind of curvature membrane of those graph paper lines anything it can. It's like being horny. I don't know. You're just like, Aah! and all of a sudden, boom, big bang. Hmm. And it could happen for infinite time, because if this universe runs out, as we clock-thinking mechanistic scientists can predict, so it's empty again, <clears throat> gets bored, here we go, and round 597 or whatever happens to be going on. So again, that's obviously theoretical, playful physics, but it just brings up the idea that if we can loosen our noggins a bit and recognize that a lot of Chinese terminology is from an indigenous culture, it's shorthand, it's not meant to be literal. And we can look at qi as just a contextual descriptor for what's really going on in the physical universe. No magic thinking, no fairy dust, no unicorns. Then it's allowed to be a science and we're allowed to practice it as scientists and our patients are allowed to trust us as scientists. We just use weird shorthand. Mm -hmm. And if you're practicing qigong, it's a state-specific gong practice for the most part. Let the qi do its thing. That's not your job. Your job is to be in the right state, or at least a, a less crappy state. Hmm. It's interesting to note how, um, I mean, this is a health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, mm -hmm. and you've been rattling on about astrophysics and space-time <laughs> continuums and silly putty and all kinds of things. But somebody might turn into a shaman if they actually go, yeah, that actually makes sense. And uh, I think that the ultimate thing that I'm, ta that I'm taking away from this, um, if I can distill, try to anyways, um, how I pay attention to whatever it is that I do um, is affected by how I do, how I pay attention to how I pay attention. Like, um, I'm getting goosebumps. If, if I'm, uh, present enough to know, um, that I'm sitting here on the couch, um, I should also be aware of how I'm sitting on the couch. And if I'm aware enough to be aware of how I'm aware, um, then I can basically do anything with regards to my health. Yeah. And that's the whole idea of fractal geometry and shamanism is you just got to figure out, <clears throat> You just have to figure out the, the state, the surface tension, and kind of the dynamic that needs to happen to produce what we call chi or transformation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sort of bringing this back to, I guess, the bigger picture, um, if, dear listener, you're still here, <laughs> thank you. Uh, like, <laughs> thank you. For, for people who uh, normally tune in, I think this is a, you know, a geek out with like a number two above <laughs> <laughs> a geek out squared, maybe more than that. Um, like a, a a practical application of how it is you talk about chi and energy and health and healing and all that sort of stuff ultimately um comes down to our own sort of 
uh, attitude, our own sort of input around however it is we, uh, we monitor ourselves, how we take care of ourselves. It's not going to happen externally, or it might happen externally. Um, but unless you're really aware of what's actually going on, you're never going to know. So um, it, it goes back to those analogies you had before of uh, the patient just sort of going, yeah, just give me the drugs. Okay, uh, I don't need to know anything. Just give me the drugs. What do I, what do I need to take here, and how do I, how do I need to take it? Right, and just trusting in some 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 bigger uh, bit of magic around health. Um, where I would like to say that the perspective that you're suggesting, that we're suggesting, I suppose, with this podcast, is to be more deliberate in how you or how one comports themselves mm-hmm. on a daily basis, um, and. Um, just know that having a uh, a perspective on things that's healthier affects your health positively. You don't ha- really have to know whatever. You don't have to understand chi or space time or any of that kind of stuff. You just need to know that that's there as a as a as a tool mm-hmm. of sorts, right? And the the reason I keep saying maybe everyone should just become a shaman is not referential to people pretending to be indigenous people and ripping off their culture. Please stop that. It's not polite. What I'm speaking to is a person who has become very dynamic about state Mm -hmm. and very focused and determined to explore and perhaps, um, I know, align with and choose the states that are the most generative for what their needs are. Because that's what Qigong means, meritorious acts of transformation, circulation, communication, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that that's like such a hard thing to get people to unravel because, I mean, how many Chinese doctors have I sat with in my life, half of them I've trained, who are still deer in the headlights convinced that there's this magic unit of energy that science is too stupid to find. And here's something that I find fascinating and hilarious. And I wish I had an example with it. Maybe I'll find one for the show notes, but because I'm involved in Chinese medicine when it comes to social media feeds and stuff like that, Every five, six months, there's going to be a new article that says the people in Denmark have discovered a new channel of lymphatic circulation that proves that meridians are real. These people in South Africa have found this new you know, dynamic of neurotransmitter uh, flow and response across this thing that proves meridians are real. And then like, you see it just floods the acupuncture, you know, forums and Facebook pages and stuff like that. Because everyone's like, look, we're real, we're real. But we keep using the same, unfortunately, formed 1970s terminology of chi is a noun and moves through meridians. Science is too stupid to find the tubes. But what's funny is when they find the new tubes, it's not about magic energy. It's about new discovered pathways for fluid dynamic circulation or bioelectric circulation or neurotransmitter circulation it's about stuff right mm-hmm. so i mean for me I, it's try, it's hard not to like kind of want to giggle like a five-year-old who's just discovered plato it's like see all of these people who are running their medical careers based on an affirmational idea are thrilled about the fact that someone's proving them right but at the same time proving them wrong because they're saying, yes, we can keep finding deeper systems of microcirculation of stuff we can measure. It's not magic. It's not balls of light. Hmm. But having said that, as you discover, I don't know, I'm a avid researcher. There's this one guy, Dr. Cruz, forgot his first name for some reason, or uh, it doesn't matter. Jack, Jack Cruz. He's a mad 
scientist crazy guy. He's an MD, but he's convinced that all mitochondria are dependent on sunlight. Hmm. And he can prove that the stuff he puts up on social media, I mean, I can barely get through it. The science is just that heavy. But he's proving that there is a fundamental use of light, they call them biophotons, that are actually the fundamental thing that people mean by chi. It just doesn't move in the exact way that needs to be described by meridians as the, the little paint-by-numbers charts you see on the wall at an acupuncture clinic. It's just a fundamental aspect of physiology. So we're at the precipice of saying, yeah, we're balls of light. It just doesn't require the traffic, um, the literal traffic dynamics of Chinese meridians, because those were added basically is mostly a way of describing how body, people as somatic or embodied people react to the world around them emotionally or with respect to spiritual growth. I mean, meridians... It was kind of, I mean, they, they, they had dissected people down to the, the limit of human uh, vision 2,000 years ago. And most of the meridians just follow nerve and blood pathways. And the associations with organs has got, again, to do with more of a psychosomatic thing than, than your typical, you know. Because why? why? Why is that lung meridian there? Why is the bladder meridian there? Like, why? How does that point do that exactly? Why? Why? And there's really no answer for that when you try and make, take it literally. But when you stay with the affirmation of the warp and weft, the fabric of space-time, the fact that this is more about E than Chi, if E leads Chi, if you stay and change the state of a person's mind and being through the meridians being more about mind and body, <clears throat> that's what that's what affects the Chi of the entire system. You're not in, you're not improving traffic, you're improving state. And and that's that's honestly where the 1972 birth of modern Chinese medicine into the world went completely sideways because they were absolutely insecure about their relationship to Western science and tried their best to make it look like something science could get. Lost in translation. Lost in translation completely. Hmm. So where does that leave us now? I mean, after how long have we been at this? Oh, no. Um, an hour and 40 minutes. Holy cow, that's a record. Yeah. Well, it's a big subject, and I mean... Well, it is, and I, I think it's uh, it's fitting that this is actually a conversation to start the year. Yeah. Because, you know, sort of getting back to our initial conversations of, you know, uh, resolving or um, being focused at what's actually going to change for oneself over the year. Yeah, if you're going to, if anyone's going to get through their New Year's resolution, it's going to be with your Chung Chi, your Resolve Chi, because it's a resolution. Mm-hmm, Yeah. You know, and that's a state, by the way, and it's formed by E, the chi comes later, just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and away we go back. And, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I just made my point. I did my physics dance. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there more that you wanted to explain or uh, uh, unravel, unpack today? Uh, let me just go through my scribbles. Like, like I said, this is the first time I've actually attempted to do this in English, so... Well, I'd say you did pretty good. I mean, I kind of understood what you said. And if I listen back to it again, I'm sure it'll sink in even deeper. Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing is just helping people frame that whatever it is that we see as material in the physical world is something floating within a 3D graph paper volume that has certain properties. And we measure those properties as vibration, resonance, mass, gravity, and stuff like that. But those, all those forces come uh, combined to create atoms and atoms create planets or human bodies or, you know, food and stuff like that. So it's this constant weird interweaving of what she is doing with the fabric of space time hmm. or what the fabric of space time is doing as chi. 
Okay. Because in, in the sense, one, one, one person once said, and this is probably the best way to wrap it up, nothing in the universe can exist without what she implies. Nothing can exist in the universe without... Say that again, nothing? In the universe can exist without chi, or more precisely, nothing in the universe can exist without what chi implies. Hmm. Right. Very cool. Yeah, because then it doesn't have to be a noun, because that's, that's where people get stuck. Right, right. Well, that's uh, one heck of a starting point to kick off the yeah, year. Yeah, welcome to 2018. It's probably going to be a lot more... Down. Yeah, we're going to be really be focusing in on the fundamentals of anti-aging and autoimmune this year, mostly. So, um, yeah, it'll be pretty consistent about proactive things you can do right now to take care of you, your family, your friends, and your patients. A little bit more down to earth, perhaps. Well, just you know, I'm trying to bring certain subjects into really just this. This is you know, say for example, why say the top five irritants for autoimmune patients, like mm -hmm. not don't not only don't eat them, but exactly why? Because a lot of us now as educated people, you know, we want to be informed as to why, because that gives us the informational fuel for the intention to keep going. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, the Western mind is all about the why, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Yay. I'd high five you, but hey, I can't reach We're you from a little the side too far the across the room in our new setup. <laughs> uh, you've been listening to and watching Fusion, Fusion Health Radio. Uh, the Health, Lifestyle, and Mindset Podcast. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with that guy over there, Dr. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Dr. Michael Smith. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, we're there. And uh, one of the, I guess if I do have a resolution this year, is to actually amp up uh, the volume uh, on whatever it is I'm doing to make Fusion Health Radio stick to the internet. Yeah, I think it would be fun to really just do a, a really thorough series, you know, a weekly series. I just really give people that kind of support. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, Michael and I have been toying around with the idea of uh, Patreon. Right, I forgot. Yeah, we're going to try and make that make the most sense for people. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Patreon is an opportunity for you to support us financially uh, to continue with this. If you like what we're up to, um, then stay tuned for those details. And that, that's usually for these things. I'm just curious. I just got into looking at it. That's usually just a few bucks a month, right? Uh, it can be as much uh, as much or as little as you like. Cool. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, I know some Patreon, uh, so a particular podcast here in Canada, anyways, Canada Land, you know, mm -hmm. they pull in some $20,000 a month. What? Uh, but mind you, it's a $20,000 uh, commitment to podcasting. Right. Um, with the journalistic integrity they have and all the different work that they do. It's not just mm -hmm. me and you sitting in your living room behind microphones. <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah. Um, not as interesting in my mind. Mm. Politics. Uh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that, I mean, well, we'll see how that goes. But I just wanted to ask that question just to make people comfortable with it, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they can. If you, if, you, if you like helping out anything, it would be helpful. Uh, Michael, if people have uh, questions, concerns, ideas, complaints, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, for me specifically with respect to health would be my website, which is integrativehealthsolutions.ca. Great. Um, if people want to get a hold of us mostly with respect to the podcast, there's comments with, I think there's Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes. Um, and yeah. then you can go on Facebook and if you actually have a specific question for me or for the podcast, if you want us to get into your particular thing, uh, just send us a question through the Fusion Health Radio Facebook page because that's probably the, so far that's the most commonly 
consistent way people get a hold of us. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it's easier for me to remember Facebook. <laughs> Click and, here. And, and yeah, please uh, rate and review, review, like, and share that whole thing. Uh, just because that's sort of the social proof of, you know, what we're doing seems to help. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to know uh, if you're somebody who's been tuning in to watch these things, uh, what do you think of them? Mm -hmm. um, uh, listening versus watching. Is there something you like, something you don't like? Uh, let us know. Yeah, well, we still have to get our lighting just right because we both look a little yeah. shadowed in weird ways, but <laughs> you really do I look get a little flashlight now? under your chin and look like a horror movie guy. So. Exactly. i got to do something with this hairline too. Right <laughs> get you a toupee. <laughs> Maybe we're... There we go. Uh, that did it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, folks, you've been listening to uh, Fusion Health Radio again. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in all the way to the end. And uh, we will see you in the next episode, Michael. Good conversation today. You too. And blessings, everybody. Have a great new year. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.